Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to View with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Connecticut, Ben and Jerry's tequila, bitters, and so much more. Today's guest is the extremely affable, likable Mr. Eric Job. He was recently in town and we met serendipitously at Don's Depot. You know, that's where you do those things. And we said, you know what, let's do this podcast thing. And I just released the interview with Southern Teague last week the host of Speakeasy on the Heritage Network, and Eric and I talk about them as well. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Eric Job of Amor e Amargo. I've heard some stories about Connecticut. Never <laughs> how? It's an interesting place. Interesting <laughs> how, Eric? Um, growing up there, you really don't fully understand the whole concept of your state. Yeah. So I grew up in southeastern Connecticut, uh, New London County, kind of on the border of Rhode Island. So okay. probably like a 15, 20-minute drive from where I grew up to Rhode Island. Um, and it's mostly farm country. Yeah. It was before I was born, it was mostly textile uh, factories. And when those closed, it kind of crushed the economy. Oh, and wow. so if you weren't farming or working in textile, I don't know what you did there. Um, fishing? Uh, fishing, I mean... Maybe. Maybe. I, I do. I've done a lot of fishing there. <laughs> I don't know how uh, commercially that worked out, but it definitely is a place where it's very beautiful in my part of the world, but it's yeah. also very boring. Uh, and then I would meet people from outside of Connecticut, and they're like, oh, you must be rich. And I was like, no, on the contrary. <laughs> like, I would love for you to come see where I live. It's quite depressing, actually. You ever seen a shanty? Cause that's like... uh, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I'm just kidding. No, but no, it's true. I, I've, I've known a shanty or two. Um <laughs> But then, like, I got to college and I, I dated a young lady who lived in New Milford, who was on the other side of the state. Okay. And I remember the first time I drove out to like meet her parents, I was like, "Oh, I get it now. Like, this is where the wealth is." Oh. And so it's a very interesting thing. Like, you if you go to New Haven, uh, you have Yale, like right in the middle of town, sure, yeah. but you also have really scary neighborhoods in walking distance from Yale. So oh, really? The wealth disparity in Connecticut is very confusing if you didn't grow up there, or even if you did, because it was yeah. confusing to me. Uh, but seeing it like. To go back now, it's like, oh, a lot of it's just depressing and you want it to be better, but like you realize that a lot of the wealth is focused in a few places yeah. and, I don't know, most people just complain about driving from New York to Massachusetts and how they have to drive through all these terrible highways and they're not wrong. Yeah, um, but it's an interesting thing. So, you know, I grew up super middle class, if not low class, depending on, you know. So you, what were your folks up to? What kinds of things? Uh, my mother actually... Uh, stopped having a profession she actually worked in food and beverage no uh, for a hotel group and when she got pregnant with me she was like i really want to be a teacher that's what i always wanted to do yeah. I, I didn't think about that when i was in college but she never stopped taking classes mm. and so she got her master's while raising myself and my brother and running a daycare out of her house oh, amazing which was super cool like such a, a nice thing to do for us sure where She's like, I just want to be home with my kids. And so yeah. if it means me watching other people's kids too, I'm okay with that. And That's then just great. taking night classes. Um, so she was doing that for the early years of my childhood. My dad is a parts manager at a tractor trailer garage. Okay. Um, he is insane with numbers, like easily knows 2,000 numbers by heart really? off the top of his head. And so like he does inventory and people are like, like you can do that without looking. He's <laughs> like, yep, I don't forget numbers. Um, were they for, like kind of born and raised in Connecticut as yep, well? Absolutely. Yeah. They both were born in the same hospital that I was born in, like no went way. to the same high school that I went to. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Bacchus baby. That was the t-shirt they gave you, Bacchus, Bacchus Hospital. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Uh, I've always really wanted to make is another that the god? Rose. No, that's d Bacchus is like the god of fun, right? Like the god of wine and stuff? Um, I don't know, to Man. be honest with you. I never actually looked into it. <laughs> always a good time with Bacchus. That's all I can say. Yeah. But so second generation or maybe grandparents uh, are out there? Yeah, too? so my mom's family's from Maine. Uh, my grandfather was in the Navy, so yeah. they ended up in uh, New London where there's a sub base. Oh, and cool. so that's how my mom's family got there. My dad's family is, uh, his his grandparents were born in northern Italy and in Sicily. No way. And three out of the four of them came through Ellis Island. 
So my great grandfather on the Italian side was he built the subways in uh, New York City. Dude, he lived in tenement housing in New Jersey, and uh, the minute he had enough money to get out, he bought a dairy farm in Montville, Connecticut, and that's how they ended up there. That's super so, cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Sicily. Now I don't want to be stereotypical. Are there some ties to the mob? On my family, unfortunately, no, because that would be super cool. Um, <laughs> I definitely, I dated a girl for a long time who had those ties, and like re- researching her family with her was super interesting. Whoa! Yeah. Did you get like preferential seating at sh- dinner and shit? Never really worked out for me, but uh, <laughs> for her, it's been a cake. I also would never cross her. Yeah, <laughs> I knew better. <laughs> uh, she was half Puerto Rican, half Sicilian. It was a kind of a scary combo. I was like, you know what? I'll just we'll do what you want to do. Point, point taken, yeah. Eric. Yeah, I think that. <laughs> yes, I've been, been yeah. there. Um, and it's funny, like, I actually, uh, probably five or six years ago, I went back to Italy with my parents. They had never been before. Oh, cool. I love it out there. So for their 30th wedding anniversary, I bought them plane tickets. Uh, oh, man. It's nice of you. Well, I, because my dad is frugal, I've taken note of any dollar I'd ever borrowed from him from, like, 18 on. <laughs> and then, like, definitely when I first moved to New York and was, like, hurting and just, like, eating peanut butter toast and spaghetti, yeah. like, I definitely borrowed some money from him, so... I owed him three thousand and five dollars. <laughs> Very precise amount. Exactly. So I gave it back to him. He's like, I was going to call it an even three, but you're right. It was three thousand. <laughs> and I was like, but I would really like to put this towards you and mom going to Italy. Like, yeah. Go see where your family's from, and then go have really just like a romantic time on like the Amalfi Coast. Yeah, that's great. And they're both like, I can't afford to go to Italy. Like, we just redid the kitchen. We just got the house reappraised. Like, we're broke. Yeah. And I was like, I know, that's why I saved up all this money. Like, Teddy Bar turns out it's pretty lucrative. And, like, when you work six days a week, you don't have a lot of time to go spend that money. So I've just oh. been, like, budgeting <laughs> and, like, hiding it away. Um, so we made a deal. We went for their 31st wedding anniversary. My brother and I went with them, Yeah. Uh, which was a super fun trip. And it was amazing because we get up to the hometown of his grandparents, the Sport Minori. It's, like, 650 people, mm. probably, like, a 35-minute drive uh, from Trentino and... My dad, I bought them Rosetta Stone for Christmas <laughs> <laughs> the year before I gave them the gift. And so they had a year and a half to like prep up. No. They're like, well, we couldn't really figure out how it worked. And I was like, I was like come on, guys. I don't have a CD ROM. I was also like, this, that thing wasn't cheap. <laughs> Can I have it back? Like, <laughs> it's a, Yeah, that's a very robust and, you know, efficiently priced fucking software. Yeah. Uh, so I was a little disappointed with them on that side. But it was really funny because we. I was at a wedding uh, in Santorini, and I met them in Milan. So they come off the, the plane, and they're just, like, culture-shocked and yeah. exhausted. And I had been partying with food and beverage people mm-hmm. in Santorini for a couple of days, so I was equally exhausted but in a different way. And I had met um, Eduardo, who's the count for the Branca family. Oh, nice. And he was like, oh, when you come to Milan, like, bring your parents to the distillery. I was like, absolutely, of course. Yeah. Why would I not do that? So my dad was just overwhelmed. He went to sleep. My brother went to sleep. And then my mom and my friend and I went and got pizza and beers before going to the thing. And I'd taken Italian in high school. My Italian is terrible. Yeah. Uh, but I could generally understand a little bit better than I could speak. Sure. And so I kind of said this to the waiter and I'm like apologizing. And then he was very much helping me. <laughs> so we got through this whole conversation of like ordering food and beer and everything. My mom turned. She's like, oh, my God. Like, you just spoke Italian to that guy. And I was like, very poorly. And he helped me a lot. <laughs> but it's just still cool. Like, I thought you really just wasted your education. <laughs> no, but the, I mean, this is the thing that's kind of, it's sweet. I, I hope that doesn't sound like a kind of a criticism. But it is. It's, it's totally sweet to care about your parents. It shows that the family's pretty close, yeah? Absolutely. I mean, my parents did anything they could for me growing up and made sure that I had anything that I needed. Yeah. I remember being like, having like friends that had a little bit more money. And I'm like. They have a pool yeah. or a trampoline. And they're like, we don't have debt. And we take care of the things that we need to. And I was like, fair enough. I mean, that's a great way to do it as well. Exactly. Uh, definitely a lot of life lessons from that. And it's yeah. something like I hated as a kid, but as an adult, I really appreciate it. Right. So. You you always rebel against it yep. until you're smart enough to realize, my dad's a hoss. Yep. Right. And it takes a while to yeah. do that. My mom uh, retired this year, and I'm super excited for her. That's uh, great. She's like, I'm 60 years old, and this job is exhausting. And I've gone in and like read stories to her first graders, and I can see how exhausting it is. Like, oh, man. I'm there as a special guest for an hour and a half, and I'm like, wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Dude. Um, so she's finally retiring. My dad is like trying to comfort her. Yeah. <laughs> He's like the high-strung one, too, which is funny. She's like, I just don't know. Like, retiring is weird. Like, are we going to have enough money? Is everything going to be okay? Yeah. And He's like, we've been planning this forever. 
like, I want you to retire and relax. Like, my dad's going to work until he can't work anymore. That's just right. who he is. And he's like, I've just done everything I can financially to make sure that we'll be okay. So it's really cute to, like, kind of watch the two of them, like, start to figure out oh, retirement. That's great. Yeah. That's so, that's so great. It's but, you, but, you know, the thing is, is, as I was trying to figure out, so often the hospitality stuff comes from someplace, you know. Yes. My mom also, I was, you know, in her belly. She quit the hospitality industry. She was a cocktail waitress for a long time. But you, I take you as kind of more of an artistic guy, right? Absolutely. I actually rebelled against getting a service industry job. Like, it was one of the easier things to do. And I m- remember thinking, like, that's not something I want to do. Like I'm yeah. a people person, but I don't think that's the kind of interaction right, right, right. I want to have. Uh, and so in my head, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to art school. I'll figure it out. I had yeah. friends that were way more talented than I was. And I was like watching them prepare for the rest of their life and kind of being freaked out. Like I'm not that good or dedicated, which is a scary feeling. Really? Cause you're a graphic design major, right? Well, and I, and I picked graphic design because I wanted, I really wanted to do fine art, but yeah. I was like, I don't know if I can have a family and support them by like me drawing and painting weird. Being things. sensible, exactly. Like, why? Because my father. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it turns out exactly. Yeah. Like you know, and so there was that whole thing, and I uh, really I love my parents, but I don't love living with them, and so yeah. I moved out at like eighteen. Okay, <laughs> and I just was like, I need to figure out how to support that to an extent. They were very helpful on the college side of things; like they helped out wherever they could. But I realized just like my day to day life was now on me. Yeah. Um, so I was working at a Ben and Jerry's, nice, in the Mohegan Sun Casino. Uh, I'd never worked anything like that before. Uh, I made ice cream. Mm-hmm. Um, I made Dippin' Dots for a summer, uh, <laughs> or their European uh, counterpart, which is Mini Melts, which was it's still alliterative. Uh, really, you know, they there was like they had all these lawsuits that were keeping Mini Melts in like Japan and Europe and yeah. not coming to the states. <laughs> and then I guess Dippin' Dots figured out they were paying more to like employ lawyers than they were right, to like making money, making right? money. so yeah. they had two factories one in deerfield florida and one in norwich connecticut and i had broken down and applied for a job at a grocery store which i really didn't want to do been there though yep it's of course fun. we've all been there yeah and so i finished the application process and they don't even call you right away you have to like go on a computer and it's like the local stop and shop yeah and i walk outside and one of my friends is rolling a blunt he's like oh what are you doing here and i was like oh, i'm applying for a job he's like dude don't do that He's like, I just got this job down at this ice cream place. Like, it's great. I was like, like a friendlies or like, a, and he was like, no, it's like a factory. Like, we make the ice cream and we like package it. And I'm like, oh my god, dude, you're so high right now. Like, I can't even. He's like, this. hey, my friend's cat is like the coolest. <laughs> like, this is my whole life. It's just my stoner friends being like, can I do this thing? Like, like do you have a cat? Like, I don't trust you. <laughs> but he was like, I'll tell him your name and and go down and check it out. And it was less than a mile from my house. Oh, killer. Uh, and they were, they were just had these huge vats and they would whip up like the flavored cream and it yeah. go through a series of pipes and then it would drop into a literal bathtub mm. of liquid nitrogen and they would freeze and it gets, really? gets caught on a conveyor belt and then you have an industrial core at the end and you either package it for like bulk or you bring it down to this little machine. It's like, like one person puts in the, the little spoon, yeah, yeah. one person puts on the lid and it, the thing just goes and goes and like. And if you had a good crew, you just like knock it out. Dang. We were second shift, so oh. we'd come in there and be like, "All you have to do is, you know, make sixty cases or whatever." And we're like, "Oh my god, we'll have that done by six o'clock." Yeah, like, totally Damn. fine. So I transitioned from that into actually scooping ice cream, and that's kind of how I got my first taste of like the service industry. Uh, the Mohegan Sun Ben and Jerry's closes at four a.m. Um, four a.m. Friday, Saturday. Yeah. Wow. Ours close at two. <laughs> like last calls one thirty. You would just crazy. see like. A sea of drunk people coming down the escalator from the clubs. Huh? And you're like, oh, this is gonna be terrible. <laughs> like, so you've had plenty of practice from young on to get like get people what they need to get them on their way. Of course. And to me, I wish I had realized at that point that like bartending was the way that I wanted to go yeah. because I could have got a head start on everything that happened moving forward. But uh, I, I really was like, cool, I'm an insomniac, <laughs> and I like people. <laughs> so I figured out that part of the equation right yeah. off the bat. I was like, those two things I can do. And then you know, I learned to use a blender. Yeah. <laughs> That helped out a little bit down the road. But really, I was doing this and kind of loving it, like going to class in the daytime, working yeah. until the sun came up. And Todd English had a restaurant across the hallway in the casino. And uh, my friend Bart was a bar back there. He was like, hey, my head bartender's leaving to go open a spot uh, with his like celebrity chef. Mm-hmm. And I know you want to work double time in the summer because you don't have classes. I put your name in there. And like she came through the line and totally busted my balls. Like She's like, hey, uh, it's my kid's birthday. And I want to get some ice cream. And I'm like, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. Like, why are you getting ice cream for your kid? And like, 
just totally like, and she was, name's Jen Sharbach, total ball buster. And so every day you worked, you got a free coupon to like mm. give to your friends or whatever. Oh, and cool. so she like got ice cream for the staff and like threw a 20 in the thing. And I was like, those are on me. And she's like, are you going to get in trouble? And I was like, no, I got these coupons that are brightly colored with my name. on. Nice. <laughs> like, Don't worry about it. I got you. Um, and then she randomly called me like two weeks later and I was like, hey, there's job interviews. And I really think you should go. And I showed up just completely blindsided. I thought I was going to be doing like room service for <laughs> the hotel. Uh-huh. And it was for a Tom Colicchio restaurant. Oh, yeah, Mr. Tom Colicchio. And so, steakhouse, is it always a steakhouse? The okay? ones in the casinos are generally steakhouses. Okay. So the Kraft Steak was the ones that they did in the MGM Grands. Gotcha. So pretty much Foxwoods, which is the other casino near where I grew up, was opening an MGM Grand. And they were Got like, hey, the one in Vegas crushes. Could you open one here? Killer, okay. Absolutely. So I'm like in this interview, and they're like, so do you know who Tom Colicchio is? I was like, no. Was Top Chef on yet? Top Chef was on. It was okay. in the early season, so like it hadn't oh, completely blown it. up yet. But like enough where it was, it's made its way into popular culture. I yeah. just didn't have cable, so I didn't know what it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was like, they're like the Top Chef guy. And I lied. And I was like, yeah, totally. Definitely know <laughs> who that is. I was like, oh, of course. So I went through this super strange interview. And I found out later that pretty much they'd hired a bunch of their staff. At the last second, the casino had realized that they had hired staff from the casino. Oh, room. shit. And they were like, we'll give you all $2 raises or whatever if you come back. So they were understaffed right before they were supposed to open. So they were like oh, hiring man. anyone like me. Like I just walked in there. Like, hey. So was, that was a serendipitous moment. 100%. Yeah. I lucked out 100%. At the same time, are you still working on art and being yeah, creative? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, 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 as much as I could, like I didn't have a ton of free time. But yeah. when I could, I was painting a lot of graffiti at the time. Yeah. So a lot of the time was like the late nights that I had off was like going out and painting freight trains or... Things like that, and that was like my outlet. I was like, okay, these days sure. I'll do this, and but right now I'm just trying to make money. I really wanted to eventually move to New York City, but I was afraid to because where we grew up, you're kind of told like you live here now, right? You don't leave. <laughs> like, but so you pursued art to a degree in which you actually got that degree? Uh nope. I actually I dropped out, and I fell so in love with fine dining that because yeah. the first day I showed up for training and the. <laughs> I get greeted by these people where I'm like, oh my God, everyone is so serious. They gave me like a booklet. It's very thick. Right. It's like all these things like wine notes and like all these things. And I was like, oh my God, I do not belong here. Like I have no <laughs> idea what's going on. I've never had a glass of wine before and we're doing a wine and cheese pairing after lunch. Like This is terrifying. Yeah. And um, I called my mom <laughs> on the lunch break and I was like, I think I'm about to make a lot of people really angry. Like that's what's working. She's like, you're going to be a busser. Like you're going to be bringing people bread, bringing them butter, like right. filling their waters. You'll be fine. I was like, yeah, but what if someone asked me a question about like dry aging beef or like what they should pair? And she's like, that's not going to happen. Like, just these are all things I wanted you to know growing up, but like we didn't have the money to go right. to nice dinner. So like, just take notes and like be smart about it. Yeah. Like, okay. The very next day, I ordered the the wine bible and the food lovers companion nice. just in case. So I was like, I'm just going to start studying and learning because you didn't want to be caught off guard. Yeah, exactly. I I was like looking at the price points on the menu and like having grown up never eating a meal like that in my life, I was so nervous to ruin somebody's experience. Yeah. Even though they take it for granted, of course, right? like, like they don't think a thing time. about it. Like <laughs> in my head, I was like, oh god, I'm going to ruin your meal, and you spent so much money on it. Uh, so for so me, I just I just put my head down. I was like, I want to learn as much as I can, dude. I love so I love the basically the blue collar humility piece of this whole thing, right? Because it's like dry age wagyu or something. Mm-hmm. Great, we've you know now we've had it. Yep. With, when I was a kid, and we never got that stuff, man. We get well, it was always Salisbury steak, yep. a reasonably priced cut of meat that's ultimately got beef. But like, I don't know about your parents, but mine cooked it not medium well, like well. <laughs> Dude, when my mom would cook that, her liver, oh, God, it was like a leather shoe. Terrible. Should we talk about it now? I'm like, <laughs> you can make Brussels sprouts differently, Mom. You do not have to boil them for 30 minutes. She's it's like, out. I know, I know. We all live and we learn, right? Yep. But did you feel enticed then to kind of come into that kind of lifestyle? I tippy-toed into it. Mm. Like, I was still super... <laughs> like hesitant like i just was i i was intimidated by it but right. i was in love with the idea of it like i really was like i would never forget like the first night that we did full service and like the music was at the right level the lights were at where they need to be and yeah. i looked around the room i'd been running around for like two hours i had a minute to stop and like just like i was going to get a tray or something and i was like this is beautiful like, everyone here is like laughing and having a good time and yeah. like people are really enjoying themselves i'm like i helped do this like 
And at that point, I was like, oh, I just want to keep doing this forever. Like I, so I pretty much was very open with management and told them, put me in any position you want me to. I want to learn. Yeah. I was very confused because the hosts that we had at the time were seating people in a very odd way. And I wanted to know if they were just bad at their jobs or if there was a system in place. So uh, my friend Mary was in charge of the whole host stand situation. And I asked her if I could maitre d'. Yeah. Uh, or I asked her if I could host one day a week. And I was mostly at this point food running and expediting. And she was like, why? Like, you're going to make less money and you're going to be angry the old, whole time. And I was like, I need to know how this works. Yeah. Like, right now, I'm, I'm so new to all this that I want to know why different parts of the restaurant work in different ways. And I want to learn the systems. She was like, okay. She was like, well, put on a suit and I'll see you on Wednesday. And I did that for a couple of weeks. She was like, I kind of like you up here. Like, would you maitre d one day a week? Because we only have two and they are best friends and they never have a day off together. Yeah. And I was like, absolutely. Like, I'll talk to them about like, changing my food running schedule and so I started maitre d'ing one day a week and like learning how that worked and like taking reservations and stuff uh and that I was like okay this is just another piece of it sure like, one yeah. day they were short of bar back so they're like can you bar back tonight I was like I don't know what that entails but if you throw me back there let's I'll, do it I'll, I'll, I'll learn you so you to me whether or not you probably realized at that point you, you like people oh, absolutely talking to them getting them what they need so I think that's an absolute quality that just emerges and it's very clear like when you just within five words of meeting you. <laughs> the other thing too that I'm kind of getting which I really appreciate is I was talking to because we were hanging out at Don's Depot again the other night with Helen from Redemption, right? Yeah. And she's like, you know, these younger, as I sound, I'm not like, I'm not really that old, but these younger kids that are coming into cocktail stuff and doing bartending, they don't want to be barbacks. Nope. You know, they don't want to just like do the task, but it feels like you're the kind of guy that says, I'm not looking at this as I'm better or worse than you. I just want to do the thing, to yeah. learn the thing. And it seems like that's probably been pretty successful for you. I mean, I was also very spoiled because some of the people that opened that restaurant were like just that kind of person. Yeah. And I, I clung to it immediately. Got it. Okay. I wanted to know why they loved what they did so much and like how to be more like them. Yeah. Uh, Tom Timmons, who was our service director and eventually our GM, was like a second father to me, like restaurant-wise. Where yeah. He was very understanding, but he cared so much about everything being right. Mm -hmm. And I remember him telling me probably a month into the job, I can't watch TV anymore because when there's a waiter doing something poorly <laughs> in the background, it like ruins the whole scene for me. He's like, he's like, it's extras in the back and I can just see him backhanding. <laughs> and he's like, and I'm just so upset. But he's like, you know, you serve from the left, you clear from the right, hug your guest. And I yeah. just, it was like things like that where I was like, oh, you're a crazy person. Yeah. And then fast forward like six months, I was like, oh so right like, <laughs> to this day i watch a movie and someone's setting bar and i'm like why are you doing this this Dude, way like you know it's a and this is a brief tangent but you ever seen the movie scrooged uh, i have seen it in bits and pieces i'm embarrassed to say that i have not watched no, it all the way through that's fine but there's a great scene about a guy somehow getting on fire as a server and so it's the best way to distract you from how he's actually serving because he's on fucking fire <laughs> <laughs> and bill murray's the only one that can see it it's just you know, sometimes it's like, man, I just can't watch those scenes. Well, watch that one. It'll reset it for you because no waiter is ever on fire. Ever. And I have seen, actually, waiters on fire. but it's, uh, <laughs> oh, I've actually I've had a lot of weird experience with the fire in restaurants. Really? Yeah, my, I was at a, a bar with my boss in Chicago. And it was like the first day they were open. It was friends and families. And they had all these candles along the outside. Yeah. And they were, like, beautiful. And they made the room look great. Uh, but they placed them a little bit close to, like, where the tables were oh, no. and at some point she like turned her head a little bit and her hair caught fire and my buddy i was sitting to the right of her and i couldn't see what he was saying and he was like right across and he just jumps up and like hats her hair out oh geez and i was like whoa what just happened he was like your hair was on fire <laughs> that stuff happens a lot. i mean i've watched it happen people like trying to make out sloppy at the bar over a candle and i'm oh, like no oh, your hair's gonna catch on fire lady like get out of here as he makes a waving <laughs> motion with his fist this is the thing <laughs> Well, so the biggest move, though, it feels like. So you're getting kind of imbibed with the hospitality industry, all the elements and the functions of the, the restaurant here, Tom Clicko's steakhouse-ish kind of fine yep. dining stuff. So what what was the final step where it's like New York is the place to be? They were just very cool. Um, Richard Breitschkrieg, who's our, the, he was the head of operations at the time, I had told him, early on that like at some point I would love to move to New York City like once I was finally like somewhat comfortable like yeah. I was stiff as a board for months and months there just like still afraid to like talk to anyone like really someone from New York would come down I would just be like oh my god and poor what, tell me why that is because you seem like a real gregarious guy 
I feel like I am, but yeah. when I at that point in my life, I was being put in a position where everything was new and scary to me, and uh-huh. that was a new feeling. Oh, I see. So like, I just anytime someone important came in the room, I was like, oh my god, don't mess this up. It's funny. I had uh, probably eight years ago, nine years ago, we opened Kaliki on Sons, and I was the head expediter, and I, it just came up on my like memories on Facebook last uh-huh. week, and I like wrote a thing like Kaliki on Sons opens tonight. I'm running the pass, like so nervous, like. <laughs> Wish me good luck. Yeah. And I had all these chefs that I'd worked with and all, all these people. They were like, you're going to be fine. You're going to be great. And I remember being sick to my stomach and just like, I don't want to mess this up. I want this to be perfect for everybody. Yeah. And it's not a trait that is like my day-to-day thing. But when it's somebody else's money, it's somebody else's restaurant, it's yeah. somebody else's business, I don't ever want it to be messed up. And I think the further I got away from fine dining, the more that kind of left me. Where I like, it just I think it was ingrained in me like coming into it with – no experience whatsoever that yeah. like everything is very important and like don't mess these things up. So I've been in New York City for 10 years now and now I feel like everything's great and I love it and I can just be myself and not worry. But at that point in my life, terrified. Really? They transferred me to New York and they put me at the Mothership restaurant, his first restaurant, Craft, um, on 19th Street. And that was the one restaurant I didn't want them to send me to because I knew that that was like the place. Oh, man. But it was probably the best thing that ever happened because I was so terrified the entire time that I just was like, be better, be better, be better. Um, a lot of people who know me well know that uh, my nickname in the fine dining industry is Fog. Uh, Which is your Fernet Bronca painting <laughs> logo on Twitter or something, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and that was like just an ongoing joke. But like it, it happened because I was a food runner okay. in New York. They were kind of like, well, what did you do the most in in uh, Craft Steak in Connecticut. And they were like, they told us that you were maitre d'ing on Wednesday. And I was like, oh yeah, maitre d'ing on Wednesday. I generally run food on like Thursday and Tuesday or whatever. And then I expedite on the weekend. Yeah. And they're like, well, why don't we start you there? And like, well, why don't we start you as a food runner? And um, I was the first white food runner I think that ever existed at Craft. And uh, <laughs> the only one that didn't speak Spanish. And so <laughs> all the cooks were like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> like, why do we have a white food runner? <laughs> Because in Connecticut, that was like totally normal. That's it, right? But, yeah. Uh, but you know, we lived in the sticks. You go into the city, not so much. And so everyone just kind of gave me a hard time. They were like, they were hazing me really bad, and mm. I couldn't figure out why they were so mad at me. And then one day, um, the L train was shut down, and I was living in Bushwick at the time, so it's kind of crucial to me to get there. And they had a shuttle running from the second stop all the way out to the end of the line. Mm-hmm. And I get on the train, and uh, there's two cooks sitting on the train that I went on. I was like, oh, I'm just going to get razzed the whole way back. This is terrible. And they're like, hey, man, um, you taking the shuttle? And I was like, no, nah, it's kind of a nice night out. And like, I don't live that far, so I'm just going to walk. And they're like, you live more than a mile <laughs> from the, the station you're getting off, and it's snowing. Like, come to the Lazy Catfish, have a beer with us. We'll all take the shuttle together. Yeah. And in my head, I'm like, oh, man, this is a trap. This is not good. Oh, man. So we go there and like we all get a beer and they immediately just like launch into like cook talk and they're having their conversation. That's good though. That's fine, right? Yep, totally. And so I'm watching Arrested Development muted and like drinking my beer. And I didn't drink at the time, so I'm just like trying to like look cool. Yeah. And a third cook walks in and he's hammered. He had the night off, so he'd been drinking, he was coming to meet them. He walks in the front door and he's like, Bog, what the fuck are you doing here? I was like, Oh man, you're saying my last name weird. It's job, like J O B. And he was like, I'm going to love with you, man. We call you Fog. You're slow and you're white. Essentially, you're a fog. <laughs> that's, um, that's great. And I couldn't even be mad at it because I was like, that's very clever. Like, I, I appreciate uh, where this is coming from. And please, also- <laughs> Real quick, please tell me that at that table, he said, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> I, I really have made the biggest little mistake of my life. <laughs> what have I done? They're it's like, funny, like, no, it's Eric Job. You're like, no, it's it's Job. And it was great, too. I ended up with uh, the two guys that were on the train. One of them I ended up officiating uh, one of his weddings. Oh, no like, way. Was, like, they ended up being three of my best friends That's in great. New York. Um, still guys that I appreciate a great deal. I never will forget going into work <laughs> the next shift. And one of the sous chefs was like, is it true? Do you know your name? And I was like, Fog. And he's like, are you okay with us calling you that? And I was like, yes. And he goes, Oh my God, it's been so hard to hold in time. I've almost <laughs> called you fog to your face like a thousand times. He's like, this is the best day of my life. <laughs> but anytime I get mail from any of those guys now, it's always addressed to fog or Mr. Fog. Mr. Um, fog. Yeah. 
That's uh, a, I mean, it's a lovely sentiment, really. Yeah. It makes you feel included, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was all about it. And, like, they, after that, quickly, we were like, okay, we're still going to be somewhat mean to you, but, like, you're part of the crew now. Yeah. And those are some of the best friends I ever made in my life. So, so. Would it, when you talk about, so you weren't drinking at the time. So you're probably, what, 21, 22, something like that? I was 22 years old. Yep. So when did you, because obviously the cocktail chapter has been a massive one for you. Yep. Obviously leading to brand work, with, working with Southern Amor and you, Margo. What was the moment maybe where you had a drink and you're like, oh, fuck, this is pretty different. I didn't realize. Well, the same guy who told me uh, my nickname, a uh, chef by the name of Alex Lira, we, he called me up one night. Everybody's working. And when you work for craft uh, family, you get vouchers to go eat at a, either your own restaurant or other restaurants within the family. Oh, cool. And it's a very nice thing. It's a way to like see your peers like work the way like, mm-hmm. you see them from a different perspective and you get to eat a really great meal. Sure. Um, and so Alex had taken me to craft one night and I wanted to repay the favor and I had my voucher. So I was like, hey, let's go to Cliquey on Sons. It just happened to be the night that the James Beard Awards <laughs> were going on. Oh, shit. And Tom was up for an award and he won. And so we're sitting at the bar and the service director comes over and she's like, if you guys want to hang around, like Tom and all his friends have decided to come here afterwards. And so all these chefs start walking in like Wiley Dufresne. Yeah, oh, man. And they're all like, Done up and yeah. um, Tom Colicchio drinks uh, tequila, which I really about him. And uh, we had a bottle of Costa Rigones on the back bar, and he asked the bartender to hand it to him. And he just started pouring tequila and like handing it out. Yeah. And uh, I was with one of our old GMs, and he looked at me. He's like, "I know you don't drink, but shut up and drink it." And I was like, <laughs> "Okay." Deal. <laughs> he was like, "If the boss man hands you a nice bottle of tequila, like yeah," and I was like, "Okay." So we had a great time. I ended up like getting behind the bar a little bit. I was bar backing at the time, and I was just trying to help out yeah. and not realizing at all that I'm getting drunk and doing so. And I got in the cab on the way back, and I'm like trying to tell a story, and I'm having a real hard time. And my <laughs> girlfriend's on one side, <laughs> Alex is on the other side, and they both look at me at the same time. They're like, oh, my God, you're drunk for the first time. Ever. And I was like, I don't know if that's true, but I'm having a real hard time putting my words together. <laughs> like, what's in my brain and what's coming out of my mouth are two different things. <laughs> and they're both like, super excited about it i think yeah. it's hilarious like i end up walking back to our apartment we dropped alex he lived like four blocks away and he and i just like peed in the street because like we were just hammered and she's like i'm not getting arrested with you guys i'll see you at the apartment yeah so i walk up the stairs and she had all these like crucifixes and and pictures along the wall and i realized that i can't walk in a straight line and so i just kind of like fall against the wall and i'm just <laughs> wiping all of them just knocking them all off and she's like yelling at me from the bedroom she's like wrong with you like she could just hear things hitting the floor i'm like i'm having trouble walking <laughs> i get into bed and i lay down and like immediately i'm like oh these are the spins everyone talks about <laughs> so like i go in the bathroom and i throw up and it's summertime so it's super hot outside we had like a tile floor i was like oh this feels so good <laughs> like i don't know how i somehow like kicked my underwear like behind her bathtub she wakes up in the morning and i'm just like curled up on the ground and she's like what's wrong with you <laughs> i was like I know what a hangover is now. The floor feels really good. <laughs> and that was the first time I ever got drunk. And I was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Like That's I a hell of, I mean, that's a, I don't think anybody has, as most people don't have as nice of a story as that <laughs> to depict their first time drinking. I certainly don't. And I think that's a lovely way to be introduced to tequila too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, I think back to that all the time because it's funny, like I, I'd had beers before and, you yeah. know, I'd had like a little shot of whiskey here and there. Like someone would buy me a shot, but like it never had like more than three or four drinks a night before yeah. that night was like what tipped it yeah. i was like okay i guess we do this now like that was kind of fun welcome to the jungle baby <laughs> exactly well so it's been gosh because so you're saying 10 years in new york probably worked all kinds of spots you worked at rum joint you worked at a bitters place yep we're like looking back at this now you feel like it's been a pretty good ride i mean i've had a great time it really it's been um I've been very privileged. I've been very spoiled to yeah. fall into these positions. Like just like always, just seem coincidental, and then like one thing would lead to another. And you know, I it's funny when I started working for Altos, <laughs> they asked me for a resume, and I was like, I haven't made a resume since I worked at Ben and Jerry's because I just kept meeting great people, and they yeah. kept like, like I vouch for you. Let's do this thing. Yeah, yeah, and then I was like, great, this is awesome. So I was like, oh my god, I don't even know what to write on a resume. Like this is embarrassing. <laughs> I've like never done anything corporate before, so. It was a very interesting transition, but like, and I've, and it's very cool that I've got to work with a lot of people that I respect and people that I consider great friends. Yeah. And that's kind of what 
that was for me. Like fine dining, I worked for Tom for probably four years, uh, and after a while, like I became the head bartender at Cliquey and Sons, and that was a big thing for me. Um, How old were you when you became the head bartender? I was probably twenty four. Killer. So a couple years later. Yeah. I, uh, when I was bar backing, I realized that we were having trouble with inventory and like how we were doing our ordering. So I asked the beverage director if I could start doing the liquor ordering. And he was well, like, I can't pay you any more money. And I was like, I know, but I touch these bottles more than anybody. And like, I think that if we could get a system together, I could do this. Yeah. And they're like, cool. If you don't mind doing it from like your Gmail account. What? Why are you so <laughs> ambitious and so self-motivated? What's wrong with you, Eric? <laughs> I was raised by <laughs> very good people, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Everyone, my father... Like, called me one day, and he was like, oh, your mother told me you worked, like, 80 hours this week. Like, that's awesome. I was like, no, it's not. I'm, I'm so tired. Like, I haven't seen my girlfriend at all. We live together. Like, but I needed to get, like, this menu flipped, and I needed, like, to take care of all these things. And yeah. So it was like, it's definitely, like, I'm 50% my dad and 50% my mom. Like, my mom can throw a party, and she's sure. super fun, and my dad is like, I like numbers and working hard. And, yeah. you know, it's... If I look at my grandparents, they're the same way. And so being raised closely with all that family was mm. probably a lot of that. Um, but also because so much of it was still too, like new to me. I just wanted to keep getting better. I wanted to yeah. improve the things I saw in front of me. And so Kaliki and Sons was a really important thing um, on that level for me. Like it was the first time I ever put a cocktail on the menu. It was like the first time I ever did liquor ordering. And mm. uh, I, I worked with a guy, Evan Buckholtz, who kind of changed my career. He very much did not want to be like seen or heard, but he's an incredible barman, and he was running spots out in Long Island, and he and his now wife wanted to come and work in the city yeah. before like figuring out what they were going to do next. And so, once again, just very serendipitous, like my very first night training as a bartender was his night trailing to see if he wanted to work there, and he ended up having like a tremendous effect on how I looked at cocktails. Really? Yeah, I was like shaking Manhattans, and he was like very nice about it, but like don't do it you should really stare that and i was like cool <laughs> so but that you you know again coming back to like there's this humility piece but you don't come across as a know-it-all i try not to because i know i don't <laughs> neither do i but you know that's a that's a rampant kind of personality style where it's like yeah well you're doing this wrong you're doing that's not where that's made hmm. but you what what where does this sensibility come from? Is this from your focus as well? Where you're like, yeah. no, I'm open to learning, and we're just here together doing this thing. I don't want to be better or worse or any of that. Yep, my mom is like the constant education person. Her mm-hmm. thing is like, I've gone on so many tours that I've hated across the country because yeah. we're in a random town, and she's like, oh look, there's a tour on this historic site that no one's ever heard of. Like, yeah. We have to take it, and like my brother and my dad and I are like, oh my god, <laughs> we love you, so we're gonna do this, but like no one's gonna smile. <laughs> Like, my dad is, like, catching a snake, and yeah. the tour guide is screaming at him, like, to put the snake back down, and my mom's like, you're embarrassing me so much, like, why? He's like, well, I was running across the path, was I not going to catch it? Uh, <laughs> like, that's kind of their marriage to a T, but it's yeah. also, like, how I am. It's like, I take a little bit from both, and so, you know, my, my mom getting her master's degree when I was a kid, like, that was a thing, like, yeah. to me, I didn't realize at the time, but I had so much respect for her, because I know how much she had on her plate, and, like, how much time she wanted to spend with her kids, but, like wanted to continue her knowledge and uh and my father's just like i'm gonna put my head down and do the best job i could do even if it takes that's a beautiful collection of talents like just genetic genetically for you right um once again just like i couldn't ask for better parents like they how did so how do they feel about you being in the hospitality industry well they hated it for so long when did they kind of (laughs) turn around um i mean i think calico and sons is probably when like the first time they came and and like Saw me behind the bar and like actually making drinks and um, just the way that I interacted with my peers. Mm-hmm. They were like, he's happy doing this and they seem to respect him and the drinks are delicious. Yeah. Um, that was kind of like a turning point. Me working for Altos, definitely my mom was like, oh, you have like health insurance. Like you're a real boy. Yeah. <laughs> like, because when I left Fine Downing, I lost all that. I went back to being like, well, you know, right. you don't have health insurance anymore. Like, just don't fuck yourself up. Exactly. Just be careful. Don't uh, break something. Yeah. Please. And if you do, know how to fix it properly. Yeah. Um, you get a little bit of super glue and some tape, and you're fine. <laughs> but that was another thing where uh, my mom is the queen of backhanded compliments, and she's like, "Did they know that you didn't graduate from college?" <laughs> I'm very happy for you, but like, I don't want you to upset anybody. Thanks, mom. Appreciate that. 
keeping us humble. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, I went to like a different kind of college. It's fine. Yeah. Like, I know things that you can't teach in college. And there's also a pattern of vouchers. Yep. Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> yep. My whole life I've been rewarded for <laughs> <laughs> If you work hard, <laughs> you get to do fun things. You get a voucher. It's great. Yeah. So they, I mean, I think the more time that they've spent in New York City, it's more actually them going to my friend's bars and like, yeah. My mom, my mom loves the dead rabbit. Cool. I woke up one day and they were supposed to come in to visit with some friends and I had worked the night before, so I was slept in a little bit. She texted me. She's like, we're the dead rabbit whenever you want to meet us. And I was like, what? what? She's like, I just love this bar. And I like, we were down at the 9-11 Memorial. And so I want to take my friends and be like, this is, I know this place. And I was like, oh my God. That is, it's almost surreal. Oh, my mom, her Facebook presence is hysterical. Is it strong? Uh, strong it's, a, game. it's a lot of. New York City bartenders and then like her friends from back home and oh, so man. like the things I see posted I'm just like this is amazing this is <laughs> like, so cool she's like well this person just requested my friendship have I gone to their bar and I'm like you haven't but like it's so and so like from here and she's like oh, okay I'll accept that then <laughs> you're an agent and I'm, she's the star isn't oh, it absolutely 100% she wants like now that she's retired she wants to work for Altos oh man and so her idea was like listen I'll be the senior citizen ambassador and I was like please tell me what does that entail she's like Picture this. I go down to Florida. I go to a retirement communities. And I have a little Paloma cart. It's yeah. branded with Altos. Sure. My mom loves to make Palomas. Like, she will, if you come to my house, like you, she will hit That's her thing. Palomas. Yeah. So she's like, I will just make Palomas for all the, the old people. And we'll just make that like an Altos community. And she's oh. like, and then I'll go to the next one and do that. And I was down in Mexico. And I was hanging out with some of the Prenova card Mexico people. And I'm like, that's actually kind of genius. Like, that's, it's actually super <laughs> genius. They're like, you need to get her down to Mexico. So my, right now we're trying to figure out dates where I can take my mom down to Arandas and like show her the distillery and everything. Oh, man. Like, she's a very big supporter of oh anything I do, but also has really like fallen in love with Altos and her social media is like, today I found out that Palomas are not as pretty on the beach because you have to put them in a red solo cup, but they're just as delicious and you can put your feet in the ocean. <laughs> she's even a good writer, right? Like she's totally primed for fucking social media. Oh, 100%. She oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I think actually people should take note. I mean, because we're always focusing on the young people. Of course, but you know. But people fifty-five and above, they drink tequila and they got money. Margaret's out there doing things. She's she sends me menu placements. She's like now available <laughs> at this bar. Or, oh my god! She's like Blanco and Ripo available at Norwich Discount Liquor. <laughs> that is an amazing support system, man. That's oh, great. That's so cool. It's great. Uh, support systems are everything. I couldn't do any of the things I do without friends and family. So. How do you feel about the community in New York? Pretty close? Very close. I mean, it, it's... I've been there for so long, and I uh, I had people take me under their wings very early on, which is huge. Yeah. It's very scary to, like, move out there and not have friends and, like, realize how much money you're spending every month and yeah, man. trying to, like, hustle and still have a life for yourself. Um, but especially, like, the hospitality community out there is very tight-knit, and mm. people look out for each other, so... Definitely, definitely fortunate on that one. I mean, you know, I saw Souther last year. I met him kind of randomly. He had those damn glasses. And he gave me a I Love Bitters <laughs> pin for my backpack. And I finally get to sit down with him, you know. And it just feels like, my, you know, the perception. So Austin's a very, very small community, yep. ultimately. I've been here almost 20 years. And we all know each other. And there's some new people coming up, which is really, really nice. Kind of in, inject some new blood, if you want. Absolutely. But it feels like there is an old guard in New York, right? And that's kind of where this whole thing kind of trickled down from culturally. And do you see it kind of changing with new people, new money? I mean, I think a big issue that we have in general, and this isn't just New York, it's just a lot of major markets, is that the public's acceptance of craft cocktails and actually like the excitement that it brings has made everything expand very quickly. And you don't have these people who like barbacks for a long time and work their way up. And right. so you're trying to like train someone or like you're hiring people who haven't really, I don't want to say being in the trenches because I like, I'm not, you know, like I, I worked in bars like anybody else did. Right. But like I meet people and I'm like, why don't you know how to do that? <laughs> did you not spend enough like time? two plus this? two, you know math, right? Yeah. No. Oh, oh shit. You missed like, that. Oh, okay. And like other thing was like, I was never great at recipes and I, I don't know. I definitely relied on my personality more than anything else. I just liked meeting people. I like sure. making people laugh. I like making people feel home. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my big thing. So making drinks made sense. I just like to make them up because I was like, I don't want to like memorize a bunch of classics. Like I want to make something that like I think you like. Tell yeah. me what you want to drink and I'll make it for you. Uh, but like I think a lot of the time that I spent barbacking was stuff that like 
I wish people paid more attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny Neff's one of my best friends. He trains some of the best barbacks I've ever met in my entire life. And like the first time I actually worked together behind a bar with him and watched him train a barback, I was like, this is what more people need to do. Yeah. And his barbacks are great. Like every, everyone that he's ever trained that I've worked with is now behind a bar themselves and like making drinks and like they know how that step works as well. It's, yeah. Well, so it's like you, I know you are a fan of baseball. Yep. And first baseman, fine. Everybody knows their stars. The shortstop, though, those dudes, unsung heroes, yep. stopping line drives, right? So it's like you don't realize how important a barback is until the barback's not very good. I, I honestly, like, I would rather have a good barback than a second bartender right. nine times out of ten. Um, if I have a barback, like, when your barback is like you are running out of something in the well and you're realizing it and then they're handing it to you behind you, like, that is something where I'm like, just like the heads up, like watching yeah. what's about to happen and like being aware of your surroundings and just like never being in the way, but always making sure you have everything you, you need. Like I will take a good bar back over anything. It's pure empathy. It's right. Because you think about how selfless that is. No, oh, all I want is for you to be better. Yeah. And that is maybe that's why it's hard to find good bar backs. It's, One, because training's bad, but two, because people are thinking about themselves. Well, and I think, you know, there's a few levels to it too, where, I don't know. A lot of the barbacks I've had in my life are like little brothers to me. Yeah. Like the, the amount of like just being like, oh my god, like you, are like my child. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, you you go through so much with them, and like when they realize what needs to happen and do it, and like sometimes, like I, my first barback I ever had is a guy named Walter Ramirez, um, and we worked together first at Craft. He was a uh, polisher uh, mm-hmm. in the dish pit, and then we went over to open Cliquey and Sons together. So when I stopped being uh, an expediter and started barbacking and then they gave me the promotion to be like a daytime bartender. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, we don't have a barback anymore. I'd like you to pick your replacement. And I was like, I'll take Walter. Like I've known him long enough to know that like, he's going to be good at this. He's smart. He realizes problems and he fixes them. And mm-hmm. I looked at him one day. I was like, you are such a better barback than I ever was. <laughs> and it's true. Like I just watched him like solve problems. And I was like, I never even thought about that. Like that's genius. And it's those kind of barbacks that you like just love to have yeah. with you. Like you do anything for them. Um, I th- these are the supporting players, man. People don't remember always the the, the cent. No, they remember the forwards in basketball. They don't always remember those guys, but they're just as paramount to success as anyone else. It's not as th- it's not as thankful of a job. It's a little more thank- no. thankless, but eventually you rise to get a bit of appreciation and all that recognition. So okay, so you get this illustrious career of vouchers working <laughs> and fine dining and working to be a bartender. Super personable guy. Why the jump to brand work then? Um, honestly, like it was kind of it wasn't so much of a jump as it was progression, I guess. Like I started I left fine dining and I got into like cocktails. Yeah. That was like a big transition for me because all I ever knew was fine dining. And I was so nervous to like actually work at a cocktail bar that I was just offering people to like bar back. Yeah. I wanted to learn from the floor up. And uh I had a meeting with Michael Neff at Ward Three and he was like, Why do you want a bar back here? I was like, I just, I've never bar back to the cocktail bar before. I want to know everything from the ground up. Yeah. He was like, are you the head bartender? <laughs> I was like, I am. <laughs> but like, I taught myself a lot of what that was. I didn't like, you know, it was like when I was a bar back, no one was teach me this, this, and this. I just yeah. was like going on the internet and Googling things or asking people who knew more than I did. And I just kind of wanted to like work in a system. And he's like, man, do you think that <laughs> you're a good bartender? And I was like, I hope so. Yeah. He's like, do you think you're the best bartender? I was like, not even close. He's like, that's good enough for me. He's like, I don't have a, a gig as a bartender for you here, and I'm not going to have you be a bar back, but we have a second bar uptown, and that was the Rum House. Oh, the He's like, House, okay. And Damon Dyer was running it at the time, and he was like, go talk to Damon and see if it's a good fit for you. Like, I'd love to have you work with us, like, you know, but yeah. you should not bar back here. And I was like, okay. So I met up with Damon, I went up to the Rum House, and he and I clicked immediately. Like, I was super excited to work mm. with him. And, um, he would just ask me a bunch of questions about like things and how they function behind bars and what I thought. And we were on the same page for a lot of it. He's like, awesome. He's like, when can you start? And so that was like my first like, okay, I'm working in a bar, not a restaurant. Yeah. And that to me was like, like mind blowing. Like I was so nervous and so excited. And, uh, and up there it's Times Square. So it's weird. Like it like tested my hospitality because <laughs> it's, we were in a hotel that did a lot of European travel, and then we were right off Times Square, so it was a lot of tourists. Sure. And mostly you lived and died by what was going on in the theaters. So if there was a good show, 
you were going to be busy yeah. every day and like matinees on Sunday. Like, but if there wasn't, you were going to like, it could be really dead. And I learned a lot about like priorities as far as speed is concerned sure. and like where, like what you need to do in those situations. Like the first time I was ever like truly like three or four deep and still making egg white cocktails, like just mm-hmm. trying to keep up like as shows are letting out. And that was hugely, it just changed everything. Like it was nuts. Um, and through that, I ended up working at Extra Fancy. Um, my best friend from high school, Tom Johnson, was a bar back there. Can't believe that. It's crazy. <laughs> and, you know, he, his, our boss broke his arm and he was the bartender. And he's like, you got a 10 bar now. He's like, I don't know. I'm a bar back. I'm like, I like being a bar back. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he did a good job. So they were like, you know, find a veteran bartender to come work with you. And they never found anybody. And I was like, you know what? I'm working five days at Rum House, but like, I'll just have one day off. I'll come work with you. And that became a thing. We would throw a party every Monday called Muscle Shirt Monday. Nice. And uh, just like a big industry hangout at the end of the night, people getting off their shifts and like looking for a Muscle for... Shirt Monday. Yeah, we'd wear tank tops after midnight and uh, encouraged bartenders to wear their own muscle shirts. So like people would come and take their vest and tie off and they'd have like a tank top underneath. And like people would walk in who weren't bartenders and be like, what is happening at this bar right now? It's like December. <laughs> and there's just a bunch of people like drinking shots of beers yeah. and like dancing on the bars it was just like a really fun kind of wild night it was like my one like kind of blow off steam night sure almost like a night off maybe oh yeah it was like a night off except like i would see the sun come up every monday um so it wasn't exactly a night off as much as restorative exactly it was it was fun (laughs) and like uh, the owners were great uh mark raincourt (laughs) sat me down and he was like i've heard that you can party and i was like that's a good thing. <laughs> I was like, uh, like I can drink, but like he's like, but you mostly worked at places where you don't drink behind the bar. I was like, well, yeah, until I got to Rum House, and like we yeah. would drink a bit behind the bar there. He's like, cool. Are you okay doing shots with guests? And I was like, yeah. I was like, am I getting fired before I ever start this job? <laughs> he was like, I mean, you're just trailing tonight, but like I just wanted to know. <laughs> nice. He's like, I think you you'll do all right here, and he was always very supportive of me, which I appreciate. Um, but it was like, so I had like that thing. I was like, all right, I'm in Times Square five nights a week, one night like lighting shit on fire and yeah. <laughs> having a good time. And then that's around the time that Souther one day was like, hey, you hang out in this bar at Amore Margo more than anybody that doesn't work here. Like, I yeah. lived six blocks from there, and Friday was my only night off, and it was always uh, Souther and Chris Louder behind the bar. So regardless of what I did that night, I'd always swing by and, like, have a quick drink with them. And yeah. if I had a date or something, I'd be like, if it doesn't go well, I'll see you later. Um, if it does, I won't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I would, like, drop them off beer and stuff just like a fun thing. So they were all going down to tails. And uh, so there was like, can you work Wednesday for me? And I was like, I don't know how to work at this bar. <laughs> I was like, he's like, oh, you'll be fine. We'll do a couple of training shifts. And I ended up working that shift for him. And then he was like, can you get Thursdays? So I was like, well, I can get someone to cover my Thursday. I ended up working seven days a week for a while at all three bars. Um, and then slowly started like giving my rum house shifts away. Yeah. Um, Cause they were, they were still the most exhausting shifts at the end of the day. Like just people wise. Um, so that turned into me like working between those two spots, and it was during that time that I made the jump to uh, brand work, and that was mostly like. Does it give you some more time, like more space for yourself? <laughs> I think this kind. is a no. It's, oh my god, it's an absolute no. <laughs> it's a nice thought, and yeah. I feel like some brand ambassadors are better at it than I am, and I and I this is mostly on myself, but you know when you're on the road 80 percent of the time, when you come back to New York, people want you to be out and want you to, you know, they want to see you. And so right. like, I'm supposed to have the weekends off, but like those are the only days that I'm in New York. So a lot of times it's not that easy. Yeah. Um, anyone who knows me knows that like on Sunday night, you can find me behind the bar or not behind the bar, but at basic, if you come when Russell's in the bathroom, you'll find me behind the bar. Yeah. Um, I tend bar there about 10 minutes every Sunday. Uh, so he can <laughs> use the lavatory. Um, but that's like my cheers. Like I go there and I'm like, all right, I'm home. Like, yeah. If people want to find me, they can. If not, I'm kind of just hiding out there. Are you more of a coach or a Norm figure? Uh, I would like to think more of Norm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to say coach because coach was awesome. Uh, but like, you know, I'm I'm on the other side of the bar, and so other than Russell pooping, I'm not really back there. But <laughs> it still feels like, just <laughs> uh, funny because I actually served Norm one time. George went. You soared. <laughs> really served George. it was like a bartender's like i i don't think i'll ever do anything better than that oh my gosh he walked into the rum house one night he was doing an off-broadway show and he walked in with his manager and i was like it took everything in my being to not yell norm i was just hoping the cocktail would be like norman <laughs> <laughs> but yeah he came and like they hung out and 
I just tried to do anything I could to like make sure people didn't bother him or like I didn't bother him. So he came back uh, the next night and he actually came and sat at the bar. And he was like, hey, can I just get a Budweiser? And I was like, I can't believe I'm cracking Oh, Budweiser my God. For Norm right now. Like, did you put crazy. it in a mug? I I did not. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have the proper glassware okay, for me okay. to do it properly. So I gave it to him in the bottle. And uh, <laughs> he looked at me. He's like, what do I owe you? And I was like, you know what? Thank you for coming back. I really appreciate seeing you again. Like, that one's on me. I wanted to be like, I can't tell you how amazing this is. Like, yeah. I would pay you $40 to serve you a beer. <laughs> like, I grew up on cheers. This is amazing. Um, and it was just like, I was like, oh, my God. I can't. Like, I was like, I got off work. And I'm at, 5 30 in the morning just texted everybody like, elated still I, I serve norm <laughs> like, dude um but yeah so like i have now more of a norm role <laughs> basically like i tell them all the time like if you guys want to yell norm when i walk in i'd be totally okay with that yeah and nobody ever does i get like a jobby here and there dude so you're 80 percent travel you said yeah with altos east coast yeah technically where else <laughs> i'm you clearly in texas right now <laughs> yeah so. what, so what? I, I kept hearing of this man uh, eric <laughs> you know people i was hanging out with are like this guy's in town I'm like you know, I didn't know you, and yeah, I'm I, just glad I ran into you. But what, that was what, great. Were, what were you doing in Texas in the first place? So I have my, my counterpart, my work wife, like my Anna, right? person is uh, Amanda Gunnerson, who lives oh, in L.A. Yeah, right. She had to be in L.A. this week, so they were like, "Hey, can you cover Texas?" And I was like, "Is that a serious question?" Of course, like I never get to come down here. Like it's yeah. not my territory. Like I've only ever been on my own time. Uh, so I was super excited at that. Um, I so we she and I kind of yin yang the country. Yeah. There's just two of us who were. She's technically West Coast, I'm technically East Coast, but we're mm. both kind of national together. Sure. Like, I couldn't be in Florida a couple weeks ago, so she flew out and covered Florida for me. Oh, which, great. And vice versa. I went to Portland, Oregon a couple weeks for her. Like, you know, it's she and I are very close, and we kind of just figure out what works. Like, yeah. our bosses are great people, and they uh, are just like, sorry, I know this isn't really your territory, but, like, can you cover this? And, you know, she and I are both like, absolutely, whatever you need. So... I've got to see a lot of the country, even though I'm technically the East Coast ambassador. That's good, though, man. That's no, great. I love Get it. to travel some more than you thought. So, like, just providing support for the troops here in town and kind of kicking some spots. I know you're at Nickel City for a bit. Yep, I was at Nickel City yesterday, at Half Step. I went to Little Brother for the first time. Oh, nice, yeah. Very cool. Super, um, super small. I love it. I mean, coming from Amore Margo, I felt right at home. I walked oh. in there and I was like, oh, my God, you have so much space. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. <laughs> I was like, this is my kind of bar. Yeah. I fit right in here. Um, I'm gonna try to check out Last Straw tonight. I haven't been in Do yet. Yeah. Um, I've heard great things. Great, Jay's a good dude. Yeah, yeah, I've known him forever, so yeah. I'm super excited to uh, to try to catch up with him. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I've, I kind of I love to go to other people's cities and just say, where do you want to go? Yeah. Take me. You know, like hanging out with Bostick the other night, and he's like, "Have you ever been to Deep Eddie Cabaret?" And I was like, "No." And he's like, "Oh my god, we gotta go right now." Yeah. And I walked in, and I was like so much like this is amazing he's in t- yeah i mean boston he's been here so long man he's super in touch with all that stuff because yeah. it's always like kind of high mm, high value cocktail bars that are really in austin right now but there's still these places yeah and like i'm more comfortable in a dive bar than i'm in anywhere else like that was not the first time i've been to don's depot i was just super excited to go back yeah that, and you know and to me i think like if you find a good balance you know like i loved making craft cocktails for people i loved being yeah. in those bars but as soon as i got off work I was like, give me a dive bar. Yeah, dude. Someone interviewed me there once. And they were like, what do you drink when you get off your shift? And they wanted like some Negroni variation or something. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, I have a domestic beer and either whiskey or tequila, depending on what kind of night I had. Dude, <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> so we sh- you know, we showed up and you kind of come- came just a little bit later. But like, Bossick and I are just drinking Knob Creek. That's it. Yep. That's all I want. Yep. I don't even need ni- ice. Doesn't matter. You got Don's Depot. You're at a dive bar. Just drink some fucking bourbon. Yep. Get it over with, right? Absolutely. I think it's great. So, you know, not talking about production and shit with Altos, but how's it been going? It seems like I've seen Altos grow profoundly as a brand. I mean, it's been insane. Um, Like I said, I've been with them since December 2014. Oh, wow. And the amount that I've just seen it. Like, it's just, it's like, to me, it's like my baby. So, like, when I go out and I, like, see it in places where I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) I like, when I started, it was, like, such a thing of, like, I know I can find it here. I know I can find it here. And, like, just, like, um. my buddy Jay was at a, a dive bar with his wife in Memphis, and they had a bottle. And he like texts me, he's like, "Oh my god, we're watching hockey, <laughs> like drinking Alto shots right oh, now." Man, this is not like, that makes me so happy. So it's been neat to kind of like see people get to know the brand, be a part of you know showing it to the world. And yeah, I just like very fortunate to be part of it. it it's been a lot of fun. I have, I get very emotional about it, dude. I mean, agave is a very special thing. Yeah, whether it is tequila or mezcal, it's like yeah. Both of them, the community itself is a special, unique type of group of folks. Yeah. 
I mean, I was down in Mexico at the beginning of December, uh, not for work. I just missed it. And yes. like I hadn't been down in a bit and it was the end of the year. I had a little PTO left over and Delta sent me a thing like flash sale. I'm like, see Mexico City for Yeah. And I was like, Oh, okay, yeah, I'm in. Like I try to get down there whenever I can. I was so privileged to go down and uh, do a Del Maguey trip with Misty. Yeah. That was amazing. Uh-huh. Um so things like that are just you know, anytime there's an opportunity to go, I'll I'll try to figure it out. But it's a very special place and uh, some very special spirits. Well, the price on Altos is great for one. Yep. Don't talk about production. I'm not really interested in it. But shots. What do you, what do you like? What's your bet? Your mom's doing Palomas. That's yep. I think really fucking precious. Yep. That's my maybe the best way to do it. But like, so what do you? You've got a budget, right? You're at a bar and you're like, well, let's kind of. Let's ex- exercise this this money, yeah. this financial stuff. What do you do with the folks? You get shots with them? Do you get? I kind of just I feel the room. I see what people are doing. Um, <laughs> I like to lie to myself and be like, if I have a tequila soda, I'm hydrating somewhat. <laughs> ah, brilliant work. Intellectualizing you know, the drinking. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> that's my, my that's like my slow drink. I tell people all the time. Generally, I just drink it neat. Like that's yeah. how I, I like to drink most spirits. And um, one day I was at a bar and they were like. They know me, and they're like, oh, uh, I'll toast neat. And I was like, actually, if you could throw some rocks on it. They're like, yeah. And I was like, it's like a governor <laughs> on your engine. I'm like, if I throw a couple ice in it, it slows me down a little bit. Because <laughs> like, if, if I'm having a good conversation with somebody and I have something neat, I'll accidentally drink it in two sips. Like, I don't even think about it. But if I throw ice in there, I'm like, oh. <laughs> The rocks are a governing body. Oh, that is fucking brilliant. <laughs> so for me, it's generally one of those three things. It's either neat, it's on the rocks, or... You know, it's, it's some soda. Um, I do love a Paloma as well. Yeah. Like in the summertime, that's super refreshing. Um, if I'm with Daniel Warlow, I have uh, tequila Negroni. Uh-huh. Yeah, Mr. Warlow. <laughs> Four years of friendship <laughs> selling tequila. And he goes to work for Capari, and I'm like, that looks like we're going to just continue to drink <laughs> <laughs> tequila Negronis forever. You tried to find a way to combine forces. I'm sure of I it. I mean, oh, but that was the thing. That's, he drank that when he was on Altos. Like, yeah. That was his oh, drink. Yeah. So for me, I was like, well, I guess we're just going to keep doing this. <laughs> Nothing changes. It worked out perfectly. <laughs> except the, the the pay from field on the paycheck, right? You know, just you know, we're still brothers. He's a good he's a good dude yeah. for sure. Alright, so I got one last question for you. Besides you know, where you're off to next, which I'm asking in a second, but normally I ask like where people drink, who they drink with, you know, living or deceased, but I want to change it up a little bit. Okay. So you are just chilling at your place, drinking mezcal, tequila, doesn't matter. What in the mood right now, kind of wintry. What record would you put on and jam out right now? What's like the quintessential record for you to enjoy with a nice glass of agave? See, a lot of this, and this is my thing, is like uh, variables are totally. huge. Oh, sure. And so for me, because like, like I love, we make a joke that like when we close basic uh, at the end of the night, you know, Russell's Tony Bar and I'm just there drinking tequila yeah. and DJ EJ comes out. <laughs> DJ EJ. He's like, he's like, you know, j- jump on the, the iPad and like yeah. you take over. And so a lot of it is like kind of like I always I think music sets the mood more than the drinking does sometimes. I totally agree. So it's like sometimes I'm like I'm not, not even a drink tequila or mezcal right now because like what I'm listening to right now makes me want to drink like I don't even know like Calvados. Oh, <laughs> I feel like I'm like oh beautiful <laughs> beautiful yeah. So it's like I guess if I was sitting at my place just like sipping on mezcal. Um, oh man, that's tough. I know it. But probably I. Probably Beatles Revolver. <sighs> yes. Because that one checks a lot of boxes for me. Like, I could be in different moods. and Dude. like. It, yes, because it's loving. It's dark and sad, too. It's, I mean, for no one is one of my favorite songs oh. of all time. And, like, I get to it, I'm like, I'm going to pour myself another drink right now, but I'm going to love yeah. every minute of it. Norwegian Wood's on there, too, right? Yep, absolutely. A beautiful No, list. Norwegian Wood is, um, oh, that's, that's Rubber, rubber soul. soul. Okay. Uh, Taxman, Taxman, the opening track, which is not is a lesser Beatles song, but still, still. a quite good song. Eleanor Rigby's on there, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. It goes right from Taxman into Eleanor Rigby. Which is the weirdest, most disjointed fucking thing. <laughs> I know. And Taxman was one of the first songs that George Harrison ever wrote. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Because so. there, there's, there's one on uh, Hard Day's Night that he wrote that was yep. quite, it's in the movie and stuff. Yep. And play. Man. Yeah. So this is this is good. I wish I had it on vinyl so we could just go sit in my room over here and fucking listen to it. And drink. Uh, regrettably. But I was listening to Huey Lewis in the new sports last night. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Also great. <laughs> Which really was nice. Yeah. It was nice. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Dude, so, you know, sipping some mezcal with you, Eric, meeting you the other night, kind of learning about your trajectory and stuff. It's been really brilliant getting to know you. What's Thank the you next? So much for having me. Yeah, dude, for sure. So last straw tonight. 
the yep. next a good next step, right? Yep. Good. Well, maybe we'll do it together. We'll I see. I'd love to. Yeah. Yes, please. Be good to get out. So, I appreciate you taking the time, my man. Of course, man. Godspeed on the travel. I'm so glad to have met you the other night. Yeah. That was like great timing and serendipitous. Yeah. It feels like that's been my whole life. <laughs> so thank you for continuing with that trend. <laughs> Who am I to stand in the way? <laughs> you know, of good fortune. I appreciate that. Dude, talk to you soon, Eric. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So there we have it. Mr. Eric Job has had a very interesting journey. He is really in love with the industry. He's really in love with people. And it shows, you know, it's just a joy to be here around him. Not someone that I've heard complain. Super uplifting. Very norm-like as we talk about. Cheers. So, Eric, thanks so much for letting me have the opportunity to sit down and chat with you. Can't wait to see what you're up to next. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how many movies you cram in in the next 30 days, because Halloween is oh so great. Or if you're thinking, you know, this cauliflower crust thing, it may be a fad now, but I quite like it. Please keep dancing. <laughs>